0: Hi, thank you for joining us today. This is the GLD podcast with Ellen Lust. I'm the director of the Program on Governance and Local Development. And today I'm happy to have with me Pierre Landry, who's the director of the University Service Center for China Studies, also a professor of government and public administration at the Chinese University of Hong Kong. So thank you, Pierre, for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you. Um, today we wanted to talk about urbanization in China. And I think it's interesting because we often think about urbanization in terms of schools just how many people are moving, how fast places are growing, and particularly in China, which has some you know, kind of megacities, incredibly sort of large urban spaces. Uh, but you've been doing a lot of work looking at the impact that administrative rules and zoning and sort of the institutional changes have. And I wanted to first ask you to um, describe a little bit about those types of institutions and those changes, um, and then I'd like to talk a little bit about what that means for China and Chinese today
1: sure Um, so maybe the simplest way to think about this is to talk about what scholars have called the nested hierarchy of china so china is not a federal system it is a centralized uh, regime um, that has historically always had very well and clearly defined layers of uh, local government below uh, the center now in beijing and with that comes an important series of implications for staffing of the bureaucracy Uh, the rank and the status of the officials who are posted in certain localities, uh, the amount and the nature of resources that might be transferred from the local central government to the localities, and so on. And this goes back thousands of years. Of course, every dynasty and every regime has had its own take on on how to uh, structure this system. Uh, The PRC is unique in the sense that it is a a five-tier system. Uh, It's very uh, intensive. Um, At the bottom of the hierarchy, you would have uh, townships or towns, uh, a scale of about 20 to 30,000 people. Uh, Above them, you would have counties, uh, now called districts, uh, depending on how urban they are, uh, approximately 3,000 units. Uh, All of these county units uh, are embedded into what used to be called prefectures. They're disappearing. They're now called municipalities. There are 335 of them also now in China. So to imagine the scale, each municipality has between 3 and 7 million people. And then these municipalities are embedded into provinces with uh, four exceptions, uh, Beijing, Tianjin, Shanghai, and Chongqing since 1997. And every single Chinese official you talk to is extremely clear about the, the meaning and the importance of being posted at any level in the system. And so it carries with it an enormous political, uh, economic, and bureaucratic weight.
0: So just to be really clear then, when we're talking about the municipalities, the municipalities and the towns are, are distinct, but they're, the municipalities are above counties? I just want to make so sure that we're all clear on that. It's that not point. clear.
1: And in fact, there are multiple ways by which one might, you might be living in a place which is urbanized. So at some level, you could be living in a province, which happens to be a city uh, like okay. Shanghai, You can be living in a a county-level city, as they're called, Xianjish in Chinese, that is under an ordinary prefecture. This is very rare, but but now, but used to be very common. You could be living in an ordinary county, a sort of, quote, rural county, but that happens to belong to a municipality. Or you could, sort of, depending on the combination of things, you can be living in an entire nested hierarchy where every single unit that it maps to, has a municipal or an urban label. So a street committee of a city embedded into an urban district, embedded into a municipality uh, within a province, would be the the most urban you can get, basically, in the the Chinese structure. And at the other end of the spectrum, uh, you would be uh, in a township in an ordinary county under a prefecture of usually a more remote province. And that would be the kind of extreme Rural designation.
0: Okay, okay. And you had noted these with regards to population sizes, right? So you know twenty thousand right. or millions and is do you automatically move from being de- designated, for example, a town into a city, or do you automatically move in terms of your designation just when the population becomes big enough? Or is this uh, more of a, almost kind of more of a political designation um, that comes about and you could have two places of an equal population size and yet they would have different designations?
1: Yeah, I mean so this is a, it's a mixture of a political process, a legal process and a negotiation. So, depending on the rank of the unit you are talking about, different arms of the government have the authority to intervene in the designation system. so in the Chinese practice, uh, this falls under the Ministry of Civil Affairs, which is in charge of many things, uh, including these uh, these districting uh, question and Beijing and the state council, so the office of the Prime Minister, have the authority to designate and alter boundaries and and labels of county level units and, and above, right? Uh, what happens below the county is the job of the provinces. Okay. Uh, and what happens below the uh, township is the job of the particular municipalities where the townships are located. Uh, so it's a fairly centralized system. It's pretty rare for Beijing to intervene directly in county level affairs. And this is one of those things where uh, the government is very sensitive about that. Now, there are rules uh, on paper, and I've, I've I've studied those. They're not just about size. Uh, they are about uh, historical importance. They are about economic importance. Uh, they might be also about the, uh, the standing of a particular place. So if you happen to be the seat of a prefecture, you are very likely okay. to be designated a, a county-level city, right? Even though you may not be very different from any other county. It's also about government strategy. Uh, so for example, in the 1980s, the government promoted this uh, coastal development strategy and made uh, certain uh, municipalities on the coast, about 18 of them uh, with a very special designation, which was a new creation then. So they call them, you know, uh, specially listed under the plan or deputy provincial okay. level municipalities to really signal that these were important sort of carrying the, the brand of, you know, of reforms and that they had to really be highlighted as the core of, of where the government was going to mm-hmm. invest resources.
0: They were sort of model cities in a sense. Yes, yes, and China monetaries. was
1: supposed to follow the lead and, and things would trickle okay. west gradually.
0: We'll come back to whether or not that's actually right. happened in a second, but am, am I correct that the stakes get higher sort of the, for the higher designations when you're saying that they don't necessarily intervene in kind of the county level or the lower level affairs? Is that also because the designations don't carry as much weight there? Or maybe you can tell us a little bit about what's at stake for, let's start with the with bureaucrats and government officials and then think about what's at stake for
1: citizens. Actually, it matters for both in very deep ways. Uh, so for citizens, the main question is, is, is about what's known as the hukou, uh, which is a Chinese word for household registration system. So every Chinese uh, citizen has attached to his person an identity card, but also a little booklet that uh, ties the person to the locality where uh, he or she is from. And historically, this was used to prevent people from moving to cities during mm-hmm. during and after the Great Leap Forward in the 1950s to, to you know, prevent hoarding and so on. So, in the reform era, uh, so since 1978, a major question has been whether people who do not hold the registration for a city would have the right to migrate into the city, under what conditions, what kind of documentation they would perhaps obtain, perhaps not, and whether they would have equal rights with the citizens living uh, in these urban spaces. And at that time, we're talking about basically 80% of the population holding a rural hukou. And 20% no. being urban. So this is a highly desirable thing. So what is now at stake is that when a unit mm-hmm. is being transformed from rural to urban under certain circumstances and depending on, 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 on the rank, but basically when a township becomes what's known as a street committee, the population of that unit then acquires a an new urban status. status. Okay. Uh, they may not always be aware of that, but in fact they are now counted as being urban residents. So when China talks about things like rate of urbanization which is a major indicator that the, that the government is, is very uh, concerned about uh, and that it needs to reach certain benchmarks, one of the problems is that the population is not necessarily being urbanized in a sociological sort of way uh, by living in more densely built areas mm-hmm. or having service jobs or uh, you know, whatever we think about as a city. But The simple fact that the government switches the label increases the proportion of people who are called urban, Urban. even though not very much may have happened in practice to the population that's actually been switched. But sometimes it's actually very meaningful, because sometimes that means that once the the, the label has changed, massive investment begins to arrive in in the locality, big housing projects come about and you have effectively a reconstruction of the entire built-up ecology and uh, a new city will emerge. So it's a very complicated process.
0: But can we talk a little bit about that for a second? Because is it that new investments start to arise and and the housing gets built, etc., because there's a different set of restrictions or a lack of restrictions on doing so? Is it because it has signaled that this is going to be an urban place? I mean, why would why do we get that change I guess is the question.
1: So it's a mixture of things. One of the important questions that, that we need to always keep in mind is that China is basically a very large bureaucracy and it has a, a system called the Bienjur, the allocation of jobs based on the particular type of bureaucratic unit that you are dealing okay. with. So local government that would be a rural government, um, say an ordinary county in a prefecture, will have an organizational tree that will be replicated across the country whenever you have this situation with a fixed number and type of agencies that this county government can have. So it will not have an urban planning committee. It will not have things like uh, maybe some, it may have a transportation bureau, but a very limited one. Uh, It may not have anything about recycling. It may not have anything about trash and so on. So once a unit Uh, becomes urbanized, it acquires the right to create these institutions, and then therefore the government is wealthier and has uh, more autonomy to do these things. But it also means that the units have access, for example, to the state banking system for investments, which which really matters because that is seen as a more uh, kind of credible uh, economy where the the government and the state-owned banks are more likely to want to actually deploy resources.
0: Right. right. Now that makes sense. And that actually got to the second part of my question, which is, what does this mean for a government official, right, or for an administrative official? I mean, part of it is now, especially if you're you're sort of posted there, you have a lot more latitude.
1: Yes, you have more latitude, you have more resources, you have more manpower, you have more rent-seeking opportunities, you have the ability, that's really important, uh, in this process of building up the place to uh, uh, urbanize the land and sell the land in order to, to, to fuel uh, this urbanization process. And that does not happen in a rural area.
0: Right. What's the percentage of sort of local investment or local um, budget that's coming from, say, local taxes as opposed to fr- from central disbursements in China?
1: It depends a lot. So there are... Certain taxes are shared. Certain taxes, like like the VAT, certain taxes uh, accrue directly to the central government. Certain taxes are, are, are local. A lot of that will depend on the on how wealthy the economy of the place is. So okay. if you have a lot of uh, commercial activity, VAT will be important, and therefore that will mean significant resources to the local government. But you know, my take would you no. Know, I think on average it will be something like now. 60% of fiscal resources, more than 60%, go to the central authorities and 40% stay local. But the central government also reallocates resources back to localities through transfer schemes and specially designated projects. So it's a little difficult to just conclude that the local governments have no money. I mean, they through special projects, they also get something back. Uh, and then there's a big question that some governments uh, And particularly the ones that are urbanized have the capacity to sell land and to make up a very significant proportion of their budgets simply from land sales. So, in recent years, it was very common in certain places to see localities with 20, 25, 30 percent of fiscal quote fiscal and fee income uh, derived from these land sales. Wow. Which was absolutely enormous and not sustainable. But I was going to say, at this some this point is, the land runs at some out, right? <laughs> out of land. Um, but but in recent years yeah. it's been it's been one important way of financing uh, this, this entire process. Okay,
0: okay, but that also, I mean, at some point the land does run out. I guess I'm, I'm interested in knowing about what land pressure looks like and and what you've seen. I know you've done some work on on sort of the cost of, of land and, and prices right. of land.
1: So when and, land runs out, you have different ways of dealing with that. So so it's happened. In in a few early starters of the reform process in fairly large uh, cities and in the urban core of of these areas that historically had relatively small urban districts uh, that basically ran out of land. So Beijing is one of them, Shanghai too in some places. So what the government has done in these localities is to simply create more degrees of freedom for these local governments by combining them with larger units that had leftover land um, so you would have like the old, you know, Sicheng in Beijing will now be merged with, you know, the adjacent district, still called Xicheng, but now it's like three times bigger than it used to be. And at the periphery of the new district still has land available. Um, governments hold those, they're called land banks so that are basically reserved for these kinds of projects uh, of, of state designated land that they can use for, for construction. So this is one kind of response. Um, another one is to, to repurpose the land, so mm-hmm. uh, eminent domain kind of reallocations are possible. Like, for example, the way the government has built the, uh, the whole railway system, the high-speed trains demanded a lot of that, whether or not the land had officially been sold for other purposes before. So this is one way to, to, to buy yourself some, some, some flexibility. And that you can do for certain things better than, than, than others. And the government also relies on the fact that the, the sales are not ownership sales, they are use rights okay. uh, for a finite amount of time. Um, currently, urban land is, quote, sold but de facto rented out for 70 years. I suspect that as the pressures, you know, built up uh, in the future, they will probably revisit, you know, how long you can really rent land for because it's just not very easy to and
0: shorten that period essentially, yeah. essentially is right. what we're looking at. And and like I said, you've also done some work on land prices. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about what you see as the sort of the in that sense kind of the economic reaction to urbanization? Right.
1: So land prices are fascinating because the, the government, perhaps surprisingly for an authoritarian regime, you would not think about that, is remarkably transparent about the auctions that they have put in place to sell the land. So this is land that's uh, normally unbuilt or has little uh, built on it, formerly rural land that is being converted to urban land and then is being sold through an auction process to usually uh, developers who then build you know, shopping malls, real housing estates, factories, you name it. Uh, So, of course, the prices will vary based on on what kind of land this is uh, earmarked for. Now, of course, over the past few years, uh, there's been a huge real estate boom in China. So prices tend to go up no matter what in quite impressive numbers. Um, But there are some interesting findings. So, for example, uh, the government has now labeled a number of cities and localities for a Uh, sort of special designation in terms of urban planning and urban development. It's a five-year plan that began in 2014. Um, There are now three waves of local governments in China who have been given that right. Territorially, it now basically uh, includes something like a third of the Chinese territory. It's quite massive, Um, not a third of the population because some of these territories are are, are low-density areas. But what's amazing to watch is uh, how the designation of a soon-to-be-happening, happening reurbanizing uh, locality uh, creates a, an uptick in, in, in land prices that's quite substantial you know, to the tune of 250 yuan per square meter, which is actually quite a bit of money when you think about total amount of land being sold. And,
0: and just thinking about, I mean, if we think about that in terms of, um, not that you have to have an exact number, but in terms of kind of percentage and increase, right? If we're thinking, as, is this raising the prices 50%, 20%, 10%, what's the...
1: It's it's in the 10% range right now, okay. from what I can okay. tell. So it's 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 quite it's significant. significant. Yeah. quite significant, yeah. yes. Right. Uh, so and, uh, and surprising for what is still an ongoing new project that is still unfinished, because you know, the first wave... Was picked in twenty fourteen. They will end. Wow. Yeah. Yes. So we're we, know, we are three years into this project, and this is already detectable. So so who knows what will happen? You know, after five or six or seven years.
0: Right. Yeah. And I'm just thinking. I mean, a lot of the things you've talked about are actually there's sort of there's a lot of of power shifts underneath underlying them, right? So if we're thinking about um, you know, the government invoking eminent domain or, you know, sort of mergers. I mean, those tend to be very political and very contentious issues, at least, you know, in the U.S. and elsewhere, right? Um, are they contentious in China? I mean, so you think of China as being very authoritarian, but is it is it contentious there or is are these... Um, what kinds of power struggles do we see around these issues?
1: So they are very contentious. Uh, uh, in fact, my, my colleague Li Lian is known for his, you know, coining of contentious politics in China looking at these kinds of issues uh, because people, of course, are kind of obsessed about the conditions under which their land will be perhaps repurposed. So if you traveled in China in the 1990s, you could see very often on big walls a character in, in white paint, a tide, which means, you know, earmarked for demolition. Uh, and so it was being made very clear that you know something was about to happen to a neighborhood, and uh, when that happens, uh, the law is actually quite clear, and the government is very eager to make sure it happens because it's very afraid of, of demonstrations. You are supposed to get compensation, mm-hmm. and the compensation can be monetary, it could be a mixture of monetary and the promise of access to a new apartment, for example, being built in lieu of where you were living. Uh, it could be Resettlement in a similar apartment uh, elsewhere in the city, um, and sometimes it's much worse. And of course, a lot of games are being played to try to uh, effectively minimize compensation and maximize uh, uh, you know, profits for 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 developers. So there's a lot of these kinds of, of anxieties uh, out there, and there were you know several important uh, cases of sometimes violent resistance um, or extremely High-profile uh, cases in the media. So there was a guy in Chongqing a few years ago on top of a hill in a house who refused to be demolished. It was almost comical, and you would see <laughs> everything <the> around him. <laughs> the, the, the whole hill had been basically carved out because they were getting ready to flatten the terrain and build some gigantic thing. And the poor house was standing <laughs> on top of the, uh, of, you know. Um, of this ever-shrinking hill and ultimately he gave up. Or there was another case of a highway in Zhejiang province where the house stood in the middle of the highway because he refused to move and the highway arrived at the house and then they were deciding whether they would curve around it or, or eventually demolish the house, which they did. So you have these kinds of very funny examples, but it's happening on a on massive scale. Uh, and now the difficulties that arise are promises not kept. Uh, mm-hmm. So you have situations where people gave up the land, the land is being destroyed, the construction of the new district begins, and then the developers run out of money because the economy is slowing down, and people who have been promised a new home have this half-built building to look at, their home have, has been demolished, they live in temporary housing, the government doesn't have any money, and the company has run away. I mean, this is a very yeah. typical uh, problem now of a slowing economy, particularly in Western China.
0: And the result, I mean, how long has that been taking place and what's the reaction been? I can't imagine So the slowdown, you know, the,
1: the significant economic slowdown in China has been going on for, you know, three, four years now. Okay. Uh, so we will see how long, you know, it, con- it continues, if it continues. Uh, but this is a very worrisome trend.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. And it's also interesting, I mean, your examples of the house on the hill or the house in the middle of the highway, I mean, also show how much the government is a little bit reluctant to just kind of you know, kind of oh, walk yes. in with force and, and, you know, boot somebody out, right? Which obviously has the, has the yes. strength and capacity to do so. Um, no. but Local officials
1: who basically are s- deemed responsible for what's called a collective incident in which too many people are gathered uh, or too many people complain or if there is violence uh, or, or anything uh, uh, that's not in, in tune with, with social harmony, these officials are dismissed. Okay. Uh, Dismissed? So, yes, yes. They lose their jobs, and they, okay. um, sometimes worse, uh, they might actually be prosecuted for it, but, but typically you will see uh, resignations of county leaders or mayors uh, when these kinds of events take place. So the, the local officials are extremely clear that you should do everything in your power to avoid this kind of confrontation. Wow.
0: Um, I know you've also done a lot of really interesting work looking at sort of the promotion and the, and the kind of career path of administrative officials and and I'm interested in understanding how these negotiations over the designation of urban land and uh, urban space are are affected or affecting this kinds of um interest in yeah in promotion and and kind of um, the career paths
1: the designation of land itself I think is not Absolutely critical, but the designation of the place, yeah, the, okay. the level of the city that you are talking about, is it a city or a district? Is it a prefecture or a municipality? That is absolutely critical uh, because how much power and authority you have will really depend on, on the label right. that, that that's that's assigned to you. Um, there's a very interesting process also in cities now of, of kind of de facto re-centralization because counties, uh, and county-level cities now are being turned massively into urban districts. And ironically, in China, an urban district is not a particularly powerful unit of government. Um, they lose many of the trappings of a full-fledged government that a county-level city will have, and many of these bureaucracies are directly managed by the municipal government, and no okay. one level above them. So the, so the, the, the substantive authority of, of, of an urban district tends to be reduced. And that's happening now more and more, because the, the urban process has kind of you know, been on, on the uptick. So you have many, many more cities and municipalities that want their own control over right. their territory that are very eager and happy to transform counties into districts and to assert their authority over those districts.
0: Right. And I would assume that yeah. that And, that and with that comes
1: promotion. Right, and with that right, comes basically, right, right. you know, uh, relative to the places that don't do that, that means that you have a higher rank and you're also more likely to be promoted as your next job to some uh, even you know more visible place. Exactly, uh,
0: exactly. It means it, it's, it's promotion. And it also means the place becomes more attractive right. for sort of upper level administrators yeah. to, to.
1: Transforming get. a place yeah. is is a project that an official can claim, you know, as, as a sort of a motivation for for promotion. Right, right,
0: um, and. And I guess that gets me back to where was sort of in the sense where we started, which was the, the question of how this is not just a, a process that is kind of automatic depending on how many people you have in a place, right? But there is, I would assume, a degree of negotiation and sort of uh, there's a degree of politics around the designation of a place and the, and the sort of the status that it takes. How is that evident in, you know, in China?
1: Well, let me take the example of a very sensitive area, Tibet, Uh, So Tibet is uh, called technically the Tibet Autonomous Region. So it is a province, but that has a special status due to its minority standing in China, and there are several uh, units like that in in, in the PRC. Historically, Tibet only had one city, Lhasa, the capital, and everything else around Lhasa were uh, ordinary prefectures, Mm -hmm. and it had counties under prefectures. One of the interesting problems is that China has a, a mechanism to designate units as so-called autonomous units for ethnic minorities. So the word autonomous will appear in the name of the locality. China has never created autonomous cities. Okay. And so it is seen as incompatible to have both respect for minorities in, on the one hand and an urban process on the other, which is seen as modern and therefore less interested in these types of issues. And um, so Tibet, for a very, very, very long time, uh, did not change bureaucratically. You had the same structure, you know, since pretty much the 1980s was, 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 was fixed. And it's only in the very recent uh, years that we have seen the creation of what are technically municipalities under Tibet, with now ordinary counties, the transformation of a few of them into county-level cities as, uh, you know, sort of uh, in-between step forward. But it shows how difficult it can be in some regions of China to navigate the sort of the minefield of ethnic politics mm-hmm. and, and how the government reacts to it, and then the, the pressures of urbanization. And strangely enough, the government has not been willing to engage on any kind of substantive discussion about why not have an autonomous city. And right. when I've, I've said that to some of my colleagues in China, they looked really <laughs> amused by my questions. Like, why is that even a question? That cannot be. A, a city is a city. Uh, and 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 so it it will be a long time you know until we see sort of a, a process that will mediate these these two competing kinds of pressures.
0: But then, the, to the extent to which you get, you would get change, that's that's coming from demands of officials in the autonomous regions, or is it coming from demands of the of the state? What would that? It's
1: mostly the state. I mean, I I, I think it's fair to say that the. There was not that much demand in Tibet to create municipalities uh, necessarily. I mean, although they do bring with them, you know, as I said, a number of resources that that uh, can benefit the local population. But I think there are certain regions of China where. The demand is more in favor of protecting the minority status than it is of urbanizing right. it, and so and so And as
0: long as those two things are seen the, as at odds with each other, then they would prefer the that's sort of the right. protection of the right. of the autonomy and the and the status.
1: And in fact, yeah. more uh, traditional structures, you know, prefectures autonomous prefectures, autonomous counties, etc., are almost entirely in the west, okay, uh, in China,
0: which was also uh, sort of where we we're supposed to be seeing the success models moving towards right Right. I correct about this yeah okay (laughs) (laughs) no i I mean i think that the, the you know there's a lot of things i've learned from you over the years but one of them it has been the sort of not thinking about urbanization as simply the process of people moving to the cities right or even the cities growing but the sort of the real importance of you know of essentially administrative designations and the the process of taking a place you know yesterday it wasn't urban Today, it's urban, right, and recognizing that it actually has, has yeah. a lot of meaning. Yes, um,
1: and the state does even more. So now we, you have this new wave of uh, economic zones. I mean, the Chinese reform process is known for that. Shenzhen was created you know, across the border in Hong Kong as a special economic zone, an SEZ with a few others. Over the years, uh, almost every local government in China has had at least a dream of creating some kind of a zone locally to attract FDI, to attract you know, domestic investment, um, new projects, you name it. Um, and so there's also a, a sort of another front, which is the designation of a land, whichever it is. You know, it could be a district, it could be a county, it could be a, a, a larger unit, like an entire municipality as a special economic something, uh, in order to have you know some advantage over the competition, uh, so the, the, the permutations of you know what kind of place one lives in, you know, do you live in a in a village or an urban unit as it's called? I mean, the uh, neighborhood committee. Um, under whatever, you know, under a county or an urban unit, and then is there or is not there some economic zone where you happen to be, and how does that mesh with the third level of government and the fourth level of government, means that you have hundreds of possible combinations of how one might be governed as a Chinese citizen, depending on where you live. Um,
0: And you recognize um, this as a Chinese citizen, or, or or life revolves around you?
1: No, you recognize that. I mean, people are pretty aware of what that means because, you know, hukou is very important. Everyone is intensely concerned uh, about hukou because with that comes your ability to send your kids to the local school or not, with access to to, to public services, the ability to buy or not buy a home in a certain place is sometimes restricted by by hukou status, Um, the quality of life, home prices. Once you become a homeowner, it's extremely important to understand what these designations what and mean? zones really mean because they have you know, very obvious material benefits for uh, for, for homeowners um, so it matters and, and people think about those things
0: excellent as do you so thank you <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I want to I want to again thank you for for helping us to understand this a little bit more and, and to bring it to this I think really important um, changes
1: to our attention my pleasure thanks for asking me thank you